Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him master. And you are daughters, you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. And so actually in context, this verse was written to those who are married to unbelievers. Well, should I leave him because he's an unbeliever? You're not supposed to be married to an unbeliever and, and so on and so forth. And Peter's saying, you follow the example of Sarah and learn to be a submissive, loving wife that you would win him into the faith by the way you treat him, by the way you love him. And he'll see how beautiful you are inside and out and he'll, he'll, he'll be won over to the Lord perhaps by that, okay? Now, when we're talking about doubting God or we're talking about believing God or struggling with doubts, you'll be talking about this more in your small groups. But I want you to remember that there's a big difference between having doubts and in embracing unbelief. I've wrestled with it. I've told you before, I've always been a doubter from a young man. On, even today, I'm on a, when, when I'm driving to church in the morning, I'll think, did I just shut the garage door? I'm always questioning, double questioning, doubting. Oh, did I do this? It's just my nature. So it would also be nature. You read the Bible and you go, um, is that really how it happened? Or, uh, there's a difference between struggling with doubts and embracing unbelief. Those of you who struggle with doubts, everybody struggles with doubts. That's why I studied apologetics, so that I could know the answers, so that I could help others with the doubts that I have struggled with and overcome. By the way, you don't be afraid. Don't put your head in the hole because if you struggle with doubts, you start studying all the facts and do your homework, you're going to come to faith. You're going to come to know you could trust the Lord, you could trust the Bible. And if you need help on that, I could send you some links and some, recommend some books and stuff. Uh, but I'm telling you, there's a big difference between struggling with doubt and embracing unbelief. And I've seen people who once claimed to be Christians turn from the faith and now they embrace unbelief. And what I'm talking about when I say embrace, it's a willful hardness of heart. It's a willful hardening your heart against God and embracing unbelief and putting your heart, hand up against God. If you're not doing that, you don't have to worry. We already talked about this in Hebrews 6, right? So, struggle with doubts, join the club. Just let's find answers and keep moving forward. But don't ever allow your heart, as Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 warns us, beware lest there be an evil heart of unbelief. That means your heart turns bad, turns evil, and you embrace unbelief. So that's a whole other story. So, if you've, by the way, if you've ever laughed at a promise of God and even chuckled with delight, save the story because you're going to share it in your small groups. Uh, but everyone struggles with doubts from time to time, but unbelief is the hardened condition of the heart. That's the difference there, okay? Now, here's your next fill-in. 
<clears throat> and this actually is homework. It includes homework because your small groups will look at, look at this deeper. Unbelief asks, how can this be? Faith asks, how shall this be? Now, I got this from Warren Worsby. I liked his outline on this. Uh, and you, in the small groups, you could look up those verses because one talks about a man who was in unbelief and was punished for his unbelief. And one was a quote from, from Mary who said, but I'm a virgin. How can this happen? She believed. She was a faithful believer in God, but yet she was confused. <laughs> How is it going to happen? So one more thing uh, before we move off of the topic of Sarah, because there are other uh, topics in our text today as we'll go all the way to verse uh, 16. Uh, one more thing about Sarah I want you to see. By the time you get to Galatians chapter 4, Paul uses the story of Sarah and Hagar to illustrate um, two different covenants. And, and you're going to look up the scriptures and you're going to talk about it in your small groups, which by the way, the insert in the bulletin uh, has that. If you're not in a small group, you could still use it, but I encourage you to get into a small group because it's really beneficial getting together with other believers and hammering through the text of Sunday morning going deeper. Uh, it's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 6. And it's, there's a picture of the new covenant based on grace versus the old covenant based on law. And what Paul, Paul's analogy is he says that um, Isaac was a child of the promise. He didn't earn it. He was a child of the promise. And it's a picture of the new covenant. Uh, Ishmael was a, is a picture of law and a picture of us trying to make God's promise happen. We either trust God and let God do it, and that's, that's when we look at the cross and say, God did it all at the cross. My rent is free because Jesus paid it on Calvary, okay? And so the, we look at the cross. But Ishmael is a picture of what happens when we try to get God's will done. We try to make it happen. We try to work our way there or even try to jump through the hoops of the law. It's interesting. So this illustration in Galatians is actually a picture written to people who are struggling with, I've I got to obey the law. I've got to do everything, jump through all the hoops. And, and, and so Paul brings up this story and saying, yeah, Isaac is a picture of grace. You want to just obey the law and go through all, jump through all the hoops and do everything right and, and accomplish God's will on your own with your own strength? That's a picture of Ishmael. Anyway, you, now did I ruin it? You don't have to study it now? No. You could still read it and study it. Okay. Now, we've talked about Sarah, but let's keep reading now. And, and Abraham is mentioned in verse 12. Therefore, from one man, speaking of Abraham, and him as good as dead, <laughs> that's not, I would never want to be described that way, uh, were born many, as, the, as many as the stars of the sky, innumerable as the sand which is of the seashore. So let's talk about this here. We'll break it down. He was as good as dead. What do you mean he was as good as dead? Did he have a bullet hole in him? Look at Genesis 21.5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. When you're 100 years old, will you say I'm as good as dead? You might. Okay? I mean, <clears throat> so what he's, especially what he's saying is when it comes to raising children or, or fathering a child, it looked hopeless. His, all the years he's been married to Sarah, she's never been able to conceive and he's never been able to become a father and he's now 100 years old, you think by that time you realize it ain't gonna happen as good as dead, okay? That, that's what it's saying here. So here's your next fill-in. <clears throat> God's promise takes faith to trust and embrace. In order to walk in faith, you trust what God says and you embrace 
what God says. I like the way Paul puts it in Romans 4, 19. He says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Is that a mean thing to say about somebody? We know the story. We know why it's spoken that way, okay? Now, another thing back in Hebrews, uh, in verse 12, there's a few more things I want to talk about here, is it says that as many as the stars of the sky and the sands on the seashore. Um, if you know the story, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, you know where they are? They're all over the world. And, it's, and can you count them? No, I think God pretty much kept his word to Abraham. As a matter of fact, I think even if it was just the 12 tribes of Israel and the Jewish people, there's still a whole lot of people. But this is the descendants of Ishmael, who he became a great nation, and the descendants of Isaac, who he became a great nation, which now they're always at war. Boy, can you imagine the peace we'd have in the world if Sarah didn't decide she's going to make an Ishmael? If she didn't give Hagar to Abraham? There'd probably be, there's two less people groups to war, okay? There's a whole story behind that. So, now, in verse 13, we're told this. I got to remember to turn the page. All these, or these all, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is the title of the message today because I don't want you to miss this. The whole perspective that we as Christians need to have. Because too often, everything is about this life. Too often, everything is about, well, how am I going to pay the bills? Uh, how will I retire? How will, do I have health insurance? My, <laughs> when I got into ministry, um, it's funny because I, some of you have heard the story. I was doing ministry and working in a print shop. I was into lithography at the time, and I did that for like 13 years. And, and then I was called into the full-time ministry, which I was already doing ministry, but I was doing it for free, and I liked doing it for free. I felt like I'm, I'm like Paul, the tent maker. I, I, the church doesn't have to pay me. And then one day, the pastor called me into his office and said, so what do you want to do with the rest of your life, Mike? Why are you asking me this, Pastor Jeff? He says, because I think I, the Lord wants you to come on staff. My heart sunk. You think, well, you should be happy. No, I was, pr I was proud. I was proud that I was doing, I was teaching home studies. I was leading worship. I was doing convalescent ministry. I was doing all kinds of ministries and I didn't get paid by the church. I just did it because I did it. And I was taking a little bit too much pride in that. And he said, all right, now I'm bringing you on staff. And then they start paying me. Hardly. So what happened was they, I, I took a cut in pay and I was making Two-thirds, I was making one-third of what I was making as a printer. And I, we came about this close to qualifying for food stamps. We tried, but we just came, fell short of qualifying for food stamps in California. We, it, we weren't making much, okay? And, and so, oh, where did I get off in the store? Oh, because when I first got in the ministry, my dad, who, was, who got me into the printer's union, we, it was, we were in the union and had all kinds of benefits, four weeks paid vacation, full benefits, health and medical, and, uh, pension, everything. And my dad says, so Mike, what kind of, um, what kind of pension do they offer you? <laughs> I couldn't even say Social Security because they talked me into opting out. The church, they didn't have to pay me that much if I opted out. Long story. Anyway, who are we trusting? Where's our hope? 
course, at that time, my hope was the rapture will come and I'll never have to get, retire anyway. The rapture's coming next year, this year, who knows, right? So that was our philosophy that we didn't think about retirement. There's no time. Just work and work for free if you have to. Work for cheap if you have to because the Lord's coming back. Well, all that to say is that the Lord is in control and ultimately we trust him. And I had to tell my dad, Dad, pastors don't retire. We're going to do this till the Lord comes back. My dad just thought I was nuts, okay? Anyway, let me read you an excerpt from Warren Worsby on, on this verse. He says, None of the patriarchs saw the complete fulfillment of God's promise. Promises, plural. But they saw from afar off what God was doing. These men and women of faith lived in tents. And they knew a heavenly city awaited them. And Dr. George Morrison, a great Scottish preacher, once said, The important thing is not what we live in, but what we look for. God always fulfills his promises to his people, his believing people, either immediately or ultimately. Help me, Lord, to shift gears. Help me, Lord, to think differently. Because in the world, it's like, what kind of benefits? What are they offering you? What's the pension? And then in the Lord, it's like, Lord, I'm in your hands. I'm trusting you with my life. And so, here's your next fill-in. As I pondered this, I wanted to make sure this was part of your fill-in. That this verse, verse 13, is a great picture of a Christian. We've received precious promises, which... We haven't received the benefit, the, the fullness of it. We've just received the promises themselves, right? Next, but we see them afar off. Isn't that what verse 13 is saying? We, do you see heaven yet? Anybody got to go there on vacation? No. We see them from afar off. Next, but we're assured of them. That means though we haven't seen the place, we know it exists. Though we haven't received the paycheck, we know the rent is free and Jesus paid it on Calvary. We know it's coming and we, we're assured. That's an important word for us who walk in faith. We see it afar off and we trust the Lord. We're assured of it. So here's the next step. We embrace them. We need to embrace the promises of God. It's not just a Bible. So yeah, it's a nice story. I've heard that before. No, we, we assure to them that becomes part of our life. Because part of our philosophy, our lifestyle, we live like we believe it and, and we embrace the promises of God and finally, we confess them. We confess them. That means we're not ashamed to call Jesus our Lord and Savior. As the scriptures quite often say, it's important to openly confess him before others. See, we receive the promises. We see them from afar off. We're assured of them. We embrace them. And then not only we embrace them, it's not a secret. We openly confess them. Uh, I like the way Romans 10 puts it. Paul said it this way in Romans 10, 8. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds too easy. I think people need to work for it, don't you? I think people need to earn. They need to be deserve heaven. They need to work for it and earn it and deserve heaven. And you know who? how many people would be there if that's the way it was? Yeah. Thank you, LG. Somebody's paying attention. How many of you guys would be in heaven if, if you had to earn it? None of us. So God made it so that Jesus did it all on Calvary. He paid our price. We believe. 
We confess him as our savior. We openly, like, like the Philan says, we see it from afar off. We're assured of, of the promises. We embrace the promises. We confess the promises. That's a good picture, picture of Romans 10, 8 through 10. And so uh, uh, I, I think it's important that you understand it now so, so that you don't miss it. I'm going to repeat something I said when I opened up uh, the text today, when I opened up the message, because I said that this thought grips me. And honestly, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm thinking, um, what, what's my life going to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? How long can I keep doing what I'm doing? Uh, I'm slowly starting to break. <laughs> and you just go, I got to trust the Lord. I'm His. I'm in His hands. So every stage of life, you have an opportunity to question and wonder and ask the Lord, give me faith. So here's your next fill-in, and it's what I started out with at the beginning of the message. How should this belief translate into my life? My hope is not in this life. My rest is not here. You have plenty of time to rest in heaven, folks. My retirement is not here. My reward is not in this life. Well, I did so much. How, how come they didn't even give me a gold watch when I retired? I deserve, I work so hard, I, you know what, you get it, but it ain't going to be in this life. Whether it's your, your rest, your retirement, your reward, because why? We're strangers in a strange land. We're pilgrims just passing through. Boy, when I first got saved as a teenager, that was so much easier for me to say because I, I, I only had maybe two possessions. I think I owned three. I owned my Bible, my guitar, and my fish tank. I raised fish. I love fish. I don't have them now, but don't, don't think of it. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, it's really easy. Everything I have is the Lord's. My guitar I used to worship the Lord with. My Bible, I'm not going to give that away because I study it. for It's God's Word. My fish tank, I eventually did give it to one of my brothers. You know. uh, but the thing is, it's, like, it's so easy when you don't have much. And what, the more you grow old and you start gathering things onto yourself, and you start holding them tighter and tighter... And then it messes with your head. And over and over again, the Lord has to do in my life and in your life to get, let it go. I belong to the Lord and everything I am and everything I have belongs to the Lord. And my future is His. And what about this? And what about that? What about my possessions? What about retirement? What about rest? And you trust the Lord and watch what He will do. He rewards. And by the way, He does reward you in this life. But you won't get the, all of it here, okay? Now, let's finish our text today. And verse 14 says this. Those who say such things, embracing the, uh, the, the promises and admitting they're strangers and pilgrims in a strange land. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. Abraham could have always gone back. You and I, we could always go back to the world, back the way we used to live, back the way we used to think. But are we going to do that? Are we going to keep our eyes on the Lord and move forward? Let go more and more. We let go of this world and hold on to the next. Verse 16. But now they desire a better, um, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them or to be called their God because he has prepared a city for them. I like the way the RSV puts this. Let me read it from the Revised Standard Version. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, and if they had been thinking of that land which they'd gone out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I pray that's the way God looks at me and you, is that he knows our priorities are right. And sometimes I think I've given him a reason to be ashamed of me. I don't know how you feel. Not about me, about you. But I, I feel like I've given him reason to be ashamed of me over time in my life. And yet the Bible says he's not ashamed. And those who honor God by living as aliens and pilgrims, even as it says in 1 Peter 2.11, by desiring and pursuing a better country. The, this place is not my home. They'll be honored by God who will call himself their God. And he'll not be ashamed to call them his very children. As a matter of fact, speaking of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and if you know their stories from the Bible, there's a lot of things they did that were shameful that are embarrassing, that you hope you never get caught doing. And God says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You know those three? They were like Molary and Curly. I mean, there were things about their life that, that were mistakes. And Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look upon God. This is how God described himself to Moses. That's the God I am. Instead of going, never mind, I'm just God. He identified with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, I've told you before, and we're, we're about finished here. I'm on the last page in large print. Is that, that uh, when I study for the text, I always listen to a variety of teachers. I read a variety of commentaries. I'm going, Lord, what is it that you want me to get out of it? And what is it that you want me to pass on to the congregation? Because... If I taught you everything that I learned this week about this text, this would be like a four or five hour lesson. I'm going to spare you. But uh, one of the teachers I listened to, uh, John MacArthur built a five-point sermon on this text using five Ps, of course. You've got to say, you know, you've got to have it all start with the same letter. First four is this. He taught of positive faith, powerful faith, patient faith, and pilgrim faith. I'll tell you the fifth one in a moment. He presents it like this. In verse 16 ends with a stunning statement. I think one of the most stunning statements in the, in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, because of this faith, this positive faith, this powerful faith, this patient faith, this pilgrim faith, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Huh. Is that stunning or what? I'm pretty sure that I have given God plenty of reason to be ashamed to be called my God. Dot, dot, dot. There's a little bit more in between here. Therefore, a final note is that a very important one, a final note, and perhaps the greatest credential of Abraham's faith, let's just call it the proof of faith. There's the fifth P, P okay? The proof of faith. The real test, the supreme test, not just obedience, obedience with sacrifice. By faith, Abraham, in verse 17, when he was tested, he offered up Jacob. We're talking about that next week. Because it's an incredible story and there's so much to learn. But in closing, has God put a call on your life? Have you sensed him calling your life? What is he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to go? What is his call on your life? Is faith required? I'll bet it is. Is obedience required? I'll bet it is. Perhaps even sacrifice, as we'll look at next week, at the call of faith where Abraham's faith was proven in this obedience that was a terrible, horrific choice to make. 
And there's times God puts us in situations where we're tested to the point of not only obedience, but of great sacrifice. So what is it for you? Could you just take a moment and identify it just between you and God? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. What do you know God's called you to do? What do you know God's called you to? And just admit it to him. Don't have to tell me anything. Just say, Lord, I know. You told me years ago, or you told me just last week, or whenever you told me. Lord, I know you told me. Fill in the blank. Are you going to do it? Are you going to obey God? Would you put your finger on it, be honest? Will you answer God's call? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. And I know, Lord God, that you have put forth the call, first of all, for salvation. And I'm confident that everybody in this room and those who are listening live streaming and even those listening on the radio, we've all heard the call of salvation. And I know that's just the starting point. But Lord, I pray if there be anyone listening to the sound of my voice who hears your call of salvation, Lord, by the strength of your Holy Spirit, woo them in, call them in, that they'd answer your call, that they'd submit their lives to you, that they'd put their trust in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again, and he's coming back someday. And Lord, knowing that we put our trust in Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the master of our lives. Would you do that right now? If you've never done that before, would you just whisper a little prayer to the Lord? Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know that you're the Savior. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead. Forgive me and be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Rule over me, Lord. Hear my cry. And finally, for those of you who maybe you've been Christians for a while, but you know there's a call on your life, just like we talked earlier with Pastor Jeremy, his call, and he must follow it, even though it includes sacrifice and obedience and sacrifice and pain, but we all must listen to the call of God and obey it. What is your call? Listen to his voice and commit right now to obey it. Hear our cry, Lord God. We're yours. You have... We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday Morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.